That was awesome. Thank you, guys. The churches I grew up in could not do that, so thank y'all. I appreciate that. They couldn't even clap along to it. Good morning. Welcome to the Village Church. Uh, Our mission here is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision, if you look at the screen above me, is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Christ's love. We've been here a year, and I don't think I've commented on the logo, but I love the the stained glass mosaic of broken people coming together around the cross. That's that's awesome. So welcome. Uh, Hopefully you got a worship guide. It looks like this. If you didn't get one, they're right in the foyer there. Um, If you scan the QR code on the front, that will give you access to all the the online resources. If you are a guest, whether you're a first-time guest or a 15th-time guest and you haven't connected, um, there is a link called TBC Guest Form where you can connect with the church, ask questions if you have anything specific you're interested in. tithes and offerings. We believe that the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship, and you may give to the vision and mission of the church in three ways. You may give online, you may mail a check to our address, which is on the front of your worship guide, or you may drop your offering in the wooden box at the back of the sanctuary this morning. This morning, we welcome Reverend Bill Nash to our pulpit. Thank you, Bill, for coming. And we have uh, another very special guest, Ms. Ava Weeks, who is a friend of the Pouliots and a friend of Huntsville. Uh, She is a missionary in Uganda, and she's going to be speaking briefly during the service this this morning, and then immediately after the service, if you have time, I highly, highly encourage you to stay and hear about the ministry that God is doing through Ava and others in Uganda, and the opportunity that TBC has to plug into that ministry in the upcoming months. Um, There are other announcements in your worship guide, but of note, next Sunday, the nursery will be closed. We are having service uh, the morning of Christmas Eve, but no nursery services. Thank you. you guys to stand if you're willing and able as we sing. You know, so often we sing the same carols every year. Maybe uh, maybe the message or the meaning gets lost to us sometime, but when I think about Jesus coming and being born, I think about the, the hope that the, that the Jewish people had, the Hebrew people had every single day for their coming Messiah. And so easily we can be like, Christmas, a lot of presents, a lot of holiday, a lot of family. We miss maybe the hope that we have um, through a Savior. So that's uh, what this song talks about with this long-expected Jesus. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy Strength and consolation, hope. 
standing here thinking, okay, so who said I'll go up after call to worship? And then I'm like, oh, wait, that's me. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> um, our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6. Uh, please join with me where it is made the people. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. He who has clean hands, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Amen.
Okay. Woo! <laughs> this next song, it is by far one of my favorite hymns. And some of y'all will be like, well, yeah, that's why we sing it all the time. But I love, <laughs> I love this song. So will you join me in singing this joyfully today? Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed
Lord, we love you. You are a good, the, not a, the good shepherd. You guard and keep your sheep, those who know your voice and come. You are so good. And what you do is good. And we have come into this place to delight in you. Father, we love you and we love others, not because we're so great, but because you first loved us. Thank you, Father, for your kindness and your generosity. Thank you for being the ever-present help in time of need. Thank you for calling us your own, God's children, who you lavish love on daily. We, we love you, Lord. We praise you. We magnify your name. You are so, so good. Our blessed Redeemer, you are so, so good. The long-expected Jesus, the one we are waiting for. The one we are waiting to come and make all things new. We love you. We honor you. Strength and honor and glory and power is due your holy name. You are miraculous. You are awesome. Oh, wise and just and lovely and beautiful. And we bless your holy name with all that is in us. Father, bless this time today. Spirit, move in this place. Continue to move in this place. You already are. Continue to move in this place in a mighty way. In the matchless name of Jesus, our Emmanuel, our most high, our Lord of hosts, our banner, our battle axe. You are good, and what you do is good. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. Today we'll be reading Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, 
to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We're going to relight the first candle. That's the candle of hope and expectation. We're calling God's promise to send the Savior. As we relight the second candle, the candle of preparation and peace, remember the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And now we light the pink candle of proclamation and joy. Every third Sunday of Advent is called Gaudete Sunday. And the Latin word Gaudete means rejoice. May our hearts be forever filled with joy of his coming. today. We're reading um, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. I'll pull it up on my phone here. Okay. Never mind. This thing. Child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out. 
Good morning. Good morning, everyone. I didn't hear the kids. Good morning, kids. Oh, that sounds so much better. I feel better now. I was sitting here talking to my wife this morning as we sat here in the, in the pews. And she said, I said, I said, you doing the prayer? She said, yeah. I said, which one am I doing? She said, the prayer supplication. I said, what is that? I said, cause, and then she said, well, this is where you go and ask God for things. I said, that should be a good part of prayer. And I was like, and then, but I was down about it because I was like, man, I, did, I felt so unworthy. It should be something where we should be excited to go to our father and our master to ask for our needs and our desires and know that he hears us. So I'm excited about this opportunity to stand before you in prayer this moment to ask for some things. So let us go before the Lord and thank him as well as ask for his blessing. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever forever. You are good and your mercy endures. So, Lord, I want to take this time to, I have to start with a thank you for this time in prayer. That, Lord, that you would incline your ear to your people and allow us to come before you as beggars and knowing our position, Lord God. Beggars of more grace. Beggars of more love. Beggars of more of you. Thanking you, Lord God. Just want to say thank you for the opportunity to ask, Lord, that you would make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Thanking you, Lord God, that you came to die for our sins and just want to say, Lord, if you had not come, there's no us. Lord, you have been a blessing to us from the beginning of time all the way up until us now. We made it through a week, Lord God, that had some ups and downs in it. But Lord, we can say thank you because you give us the strength to endure and endure to the end. We thank you, Lord God, that we're the apple of your eye. Your, your word said, what good thing will you keep from us? You gave us already given your only begotten son. So when, when we pray, we can come with boldness and excitement, with a sense of assurity and pure at heart that we know that, Lord God, you are for us. So, Lord, we ask you today, the Lord, that you would visit and your spirit would move. We ask the Lord that you allow Mr. Nash to decrease, that you might increase. We ask, Lord, that his word come across with power and strength and conviction. We ask, Lord, that you would lead this day. We'll worry about tomorrow when we get to it. But, Lord, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, Lord, into your truth. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that we can ask upon the Spirit for what we are lacking and what we just don't have. When we are at our weakest moments in the week, when it, whatever, the bills are not paying. The kid's not doing right. We're hearing of wars and more wars and more wars. People are lacking, Lord God. Hepatitis B is big in Jordan and Israel because of the, the, the destruction. So, Lord, we also want to say thank you for that we could be at peace right now here in the midst of turmoil. That, Lord, that we could ask for protection. As we're here at church, we know that our houses are not being, go, no one is going in it, Lord, because you're protecting us and you're keeping us. You're putting a hedge of protection around about us. So we could say thank you for that. We ask, Lord, that you continue to put your word in our heart. That we continue to act like your kids and you'll be our master and our father and we'll be obedient. We ask for strength to do what you require of us this day. 
Lord God, we're thankful for that. Lord, we're thankful, Lord God, for this church and this building, Lord God, where you allowed us to come in and love on one another. And we're examples of you and that you truly exist and that your Holy Spirit does rest, rule, and abide with us. So we're thankful for that. And Lord, it's hard for me to say this prayer and keep asking for things without giving you thanks. So I'm going to keep thanking you, Lord, because you're a good God and you're merciful. So, Lord, thank you for this time. But, Lord, we ask, Lord God, that you go before us this coming week, that you'll strengthen us, that you'll make the way straight before us, that you will give us what we need, Lord God. If it's favor from our bosses, Lord, let it, please give it to us. If it's favor from our, our wives, <laughs> husbands, Lord, please let it give, give it to us. Lord, if it's favor from our kids where we have not led them correctly, Lord, let them extend grace to us. Lord, I thank you so much for the elders in this church. Thank you for the leadership, Lord. I pray that you continue to grant them wisdom, grant them understanding, grant them guidance. Help us continue to be, no, most people don't ask for this, but help us be, continue to be humble and that you will move us forward. I pray that our visitor speak as she seeks to convict him that eyes will be open, ears are, are, are open, Lord God, to hear that you're doing great things even across the world. That your word is going forth with power and strength, Lord God. So I pray that you will reach those who don't know you in the pardon of their sins. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.
Fantastic. I can't wait to find out what Marcus can't do. Because then, then I'll tease him mercilessly just so I can feel better about myself. So, good job. Wonderful, everybody. Fantastic. <clears throat> okay, well, I'm very grateful that you guys keep inviting me back. And um, I love being here. And uh, I love seeing new faces, I love seeing old faces, and I really wish I was better at names, but um, it's really cool. I love being here, and I just keep inviting me back, even if you just have me read the announcements or something, that would be good. Um, all right, well, let's sort of, let's jump in. I'll read the passage here in just a second, but maybe let's see if we can sort of, sort of come at this and get into where um, I think something that God has shown me. And I want to be able to present it. And the goal is that we would end up at the foot of the cross, that we would see Jesus. Um, And, you know, in this time of the year, it's, you know, maybe it should be a lot easier than it is. But um, this time of the year, there's that thing that keeps showing up in newspaper articles, online, on television. It's that same old story that they have every year. You have the articles about how this is, It's the holiday season, and depression starts to sort of seep in. Um, And I did a quick Google search just to look and see. And two years ago, there was an article. um, And there was one about a year ago. Then there was one a few weeks ago. And um, they all had things along the lines of uh, feelings of depression and anxiety increase sharply over Christmas. Um, You know, how can I stave off Christmas depression? And I found an old article that I'd set aside from 23 years ago when we lived in Atlanta. And the article in the Atlanta Journal was uh, um, a similar title, but they came up where they said at the very heart of this, they, they, what happens during this season is something, a mixture of idealized childhood memories, okay, sort of idealized childhood memories, um, and then high expectations, <laughs> right? And so those high expectations up here are usually met with the reality, like down here. <laughs> and that in-between thing is kind of what they're referencing here, sort of that kind of that, that funk, that kind of depression possibly. And I think it's possibly even worse than that, not like the clinical depression, but just that how you feel. And 
I thought about this, and I think about it just about every year, kind of like in that same sort of cycle, because at the heart of actually what is my favorite, top five favorite movie of all time, uh, not just Christmas movie, but it's a fantastic movie, It's a Wonderful Life, right? It's that thing everybody's seen, we're kind of sick of it, but I still love it. And so if you don't know anything about this movie, it's about a guy named George Bailey. So the movie starts off, it's in this town of Bedford Falls. It's a movie from 1948, so it's in black and white, and it's, the pace is really slow. We're so used to stuff happening quick. You, you kind of have to drink some coffee before you watch it kind of thing. Um, but it starts off, and it's showing the town of Bedford Falls, and it's looking at each little house almost from, like, the air. And you're hearing these people praying, and they're praying for George. They're saying, God, George is having a hard time. And they're, you know, they're praying to God and saying, you know, please help George. And the, you can hear his daughter saying, please help Daddy. So there's something going on with George. And so in this, this movie, then they have this scene where they're trying to depict heaven. And so the, the, you know, Frank Capra, the, the director, just shows a picture of, like, the stars. And you see, like, galaxies there. And so you hear what turn out to be angels talking. And the way that you know that they're talking is, this is pretty corny, but they have, like, stars up there. And so they're talking, and they flash. They go, hello, you know, I'm, you know, what, what do you, you know, they, this kind of thing, they're flashing. And you're, so you're thinking, wow, this is like CGI from 1948, right? So you're listening to these angels talk, and they're saying, wow, you know, George is, it's, 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 it's a big moment in his life. It's a turning point kind of thing. We need someone to help. So they bring in Clarence, kind of the angel that doesn't have his wings yet and all that sort of thing. But he comes in from the side, and he's another little star. And this is the dialogue. It's pretty amazing. It says, uh, Joseph, was, he's one of the angels, a man down on earth needs our help. And then Clarence says, splendid, is he sick? And this is the line I love. And it, Joseph says, no worse, he's discouraged. And that gets me every time. He's discouraged. And then to make this movie not just some corny thing from 1948, if that wasn't enough, the next thing out of Joseph's mouth is, he says, at exactly 10.45 p.m. earth time, that man will be thinking seriously of throwing away God's greatest gift. And then Clarence says, oh, dear, his life? Because if you know the movie, George is about to kill himself. He's so discouraged with his life and how it's gone and everything. And he, he feels like an enormous failure. And so that's a picture of expectations in reality is that sort of discouragement that we can feel. And not only can that, that the season has something that happens, because here at Christmas happens a week before the new year. And so I always think of the song, the John Lennon song, Happy Christmas, War is Over. And the opening lines kind of depict something else that happens in our hearts at the season. He says, the opening line of the song is, so this is Christmas, and what have you done? Another year over, and a new one just begun. You know, it's the thing that happens when you start realizing we just made another rotation around the sun. And you had expectations for the year, and here it is, it's over, and you think, well, what have I done? And that can really start, you can start to feel the weight of that, too. And you look at it, and then... As days turn into weeks, and then weeks into years, and years become decades if you live long enough. And you can start to feel the weight of that, that discouragement, and it can be heavy. 
And so that's what happens, I think, when there's a wonder about Christmas, right? We use that word so much, but even the people outside the church say they sense something. There's like a, they sense the, you know, a transcendence that they can't put their finger on. If they're not in Christ, they're trying to figure it out. And so they, they, they put it in songs or in lights or something. And they even feel the wonder, but they don't know what to do with it. We know the wonder of Christmas, the deep wonder of it, yet sometimes and a lot of times we get so discouraged we don't feel it. So I want to see if I can maybe, maybe um, get back some of the wonder, not in the way that you might from getting watching Rudolph or something, or an idealized childhood memory, but that there is the real idealized memory. It's the real one, and it's better than idealized. It's true and profound, and it transcends the galaxies where the angels are talking, right? It's, it's, it's so amazing, yet we forget. Our memories fade. We get discouraged because our expectations are here and reality is here. Let's see if there's something we can do about that. What can we remember? What would be something that is better than idealized? I think it's here in Ephesians, and I'm not going to pick apart all of this. There's just one thing, just one thing we're going to focus on. So if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to read God's Word, and in sort of the, in doing something with our bodies as we read the Word, I'm not sure if you all do this every time or not, but please stand up, and I'm going to read God's written Word from Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. Hear now the written Word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved This is the written word of God. Let me pray. Father, go before me. Blaze a trail to the cross. Let us follow your word and the preached word through your power of your Holy Spirit so that we would see Jesus again this morning in a fresh way. Um, That the discouragement from another year, the discouragement from expectations and reality being so far apart, Lord, Give us the true memory, the true memory of you, who you are, what you came to do, what you're doing, where you're taking us, the wonder, the true wonder of Christmas. Please, in the name of Jesus, do that here now. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Um, Let me tell you about an idealized memory I had as a kid. Uh, and I think I've used this before, maybe even here, so bear with me. Um, so let me paint the picture. It's 1968. I'm five years old. Yes, I'm that old. I've, I've lived in 1968. It's weird. But I was five years old. We lived north of Baltimore in Maryland. And I was the youngest of five kids. Um, and my oldest sibling was like 11 years older than me. So I was like re- you know, really young and, and the young, youngest in the family. And the way that we had Christmas then in 1968, it, my dad had finished out our basement, put up wood paneling, and that good 1968 wood paneling. It was there. Um, I don't think it was shag rug yet, but um, 
we had wood paneling. He had finished it out, and that's where we were going to have Christmas morning. And um, so the way that what I remember as a five-year-old, I was the first in line at the top of the stairs. And the way you went down to my basement, it was a straight shot. You could go left or you could go right. Everything was to the right. Um, and my dad had an 8-millimeter camera, and he had bought lights for to light up the room. I mean, like, shown up lights. I mean, like, big time. And so I'm standing there, and he's, he's, he's going down. He goes, okay, wait a minute. I'll let you all know when to go because he's got to start the camera. And he's got to turn on the lights. And I promise you, when he turned on the lights, it was, it was like, um, you know, an unbelievable amount of light. You know, it's like when Clark Griswold turned on the whole house. It was that kind of thing. It was, it was so my five-year-old mind, this was the most amazing thing. So I knew, excuse me, anybody, I knew Santa had come, at least in my head. I thought maybe he was down there because the light was so bright. I thought, oh, and I'm, I'm not, it's not an exaggeration. It was the, okay, put it this way. That was the peak of my Christmas experience. At five years old, it was over. Came downstairs, took a right, and, you know, it was so bright, so unbelievable. Um, but it's in at that kind of mind, you think, you know, that light. I remember the light. I mean, this stayed with me and still does. That light. So amazing. Like, there was no shadow. I promise we turned. There was nothing. There was just light. And that has stuck with me. And again, I peaked. And, and pretty much after that, you got to figure, after five kids, the oldest one being 11 years older, the Christmases started to sort of take a downturn. You know, my dad stopped turning that light on. He was getting tired of, you know, wrapping gifts and stuff. And a big turning point for me also was when he suggested, he said, maybe rather than putting milk out for Santa, could you put a beer out for him? <laughs> and I, I started to do the math in my head and wonder. But anyways, um, that sort of fading of that kind of thing is sort of symbolic and kind of represents the light of the gospel, the light of what Jesus came to do, the brilliance of it, the wonder of it, you know, receiving it like a child, it fades too. And just sort of on a day-to-day basis, right? And then a year, it turns into a year, and then another year, and another year, and, you're, and you want to recapture that, to think it through so that it has an effect on every day. What we want to try to capture, and there's a number of things we could do, but what Christmas points to is the incarnation. Okay, what's the incarnation? Um, John's gospel begins this way, and it's just like Genesis. And so we start to see that, hey, this story's been going forever, and God's been working this out forever, right? And so there's a connection. So John begins the same way Genesis does, in the beginning was in the beginning. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you jump down to verse 14. It says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, flesh, you know, carne, incarnation, God taking on flesh. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, humbling himself, taking the form of man, becoming like a, taking the form of a servant. He took on flesh, the incarnation. He became one of us. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in his, uh, in his paraphrase uh, of the Bible called The Message, translates, or he, he paraphrases verse 14 this way, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. 
because it says he came down. And we know from Scripture that Jesus was tempted, you know, to sin and, and just like we are. He experienced things like we were, but yet without sin, right? So he was in the neighborhood. He was one of us. He took on flesh. And so the incarnation is this, Jesus, forever, the second person of the Trinity, humbling himself, taking on flesh, and moving into the neighborhood. That's partly what it means. And so this idea can be really abstract, and we sort of think of, well, how does that work? What does that mean? And how can we get that thing that we believe, Jesus became flesh, he's a baby in a manger, and we know that story, but how can that idea move from our head to our heart so that it changes us. And that's the challenge, right? So it's the idea of like, well, how can the wonder of Christmas, how can the light of what Christmas is reign in our hearts so that we take another cycle around the sun and we don't wonder, well, what have I done? Okay, um, so to, to discouragement is when expectations are here and reality is here and that's rough. But there's another bit of bad news I want to give to you before we get to the good news. And it was interesting. There's a guy named Paul Miller. His dad was Jack Miller. If you know the sonship, anything related to that, Paul Miller has written a number of great books, especially on prayer. But he was interviewed in our denominations magazine, which is called By Faith, uh, a number of years ago. And somebody had said, had sort of thrown out this question to him, or he was responding to someone saying, how can, how can we... Uh, come to God as a child if indeed we've matured through the years. And he pointed out something that um, my wife and I talk a lot about, how that this is a bit of a challenge. And he said it this way. He said, to become like a child over and over again is one of the more difficult tasks of a believer. You know, because we think of Christmas and being a child and the wonder. So that's where this ties in. You know, how can you keep coming back to God as a, um, how can that happen? How can you come to God uh, as a child still? And so um, he said, um, and I love it. How do we come to God like a child, right? Oh, so sweet. Um, but what was interesting about what Paul Miller said was that um, if you are maturing in Christ, the danger is that you would become, become possibly become less dependent on him. He said that um, if the work of Christ in us is, is happening, we might become less dependent. If you think about it like this, that if you are sort of moving and growing, things are going in your life the way that you maybe kind of want them, you can sort of start to shift your dependence on a few other things. And it can come in the form of how you might be dependent on the church. I need sermons this way. I need songs sung this way. I want my church this flavor and that sort of thing. You can really start to want to become dependent on that sort of thing and become judgmental. And it can really work almost the opposite of what you would think. I had never really thought about that. So we even have this two-pronged attack, right? And so you have this notion of how, you know, if I'm becoming more mature, I might become dependent on something else. We might become dependent on recognition, you know, if we're, we, we're, we're in Christ, we memorize scripture, we know, the, we, we know all this deep knowledge, we can shift if we lose the wonder of it all and start to become dependent on something else. Power, comfort, success, dependent even on the Christmas season to pull us out of funk. This identifies, and again, that was, that's bad news. It can get so bad, but that talks about, how, that points out how sin can become very subtle and the things that we struggle with 
And sin, by definition, at least we say in a Westminster Confession, that sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And that's true. But I think another way to think about it is that sin is making something other than God your ultimate value and worth so that you depend upon that thing. And if you think about it, yeah, it is the want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Because if you break the first commandment of the ten, which is you shall have no other gods before you, then you're already into breaking all the rest. Because if you become your own god or you're dependent upon something, is recognition, you know, um, anything related to that or something you're hoping in other than God, guess what you'll do? You'll probably lie to get it. Right? And you, you, you might even say, I'm my own God, and you'll just start breaking all the rest of them. Lie, you'll steal. Um, you'll break relationships and not honor your parents. or you, know, you, you start to break relationships to get what you want. You'll even envy, and envy will drive you crazy because that's coveting what your neighbor has. And that sin is so subtle, and it's because our memory of what the incarnation is has faded. And I want to bring us back to that. I mean, that's how subtle sin is. I told you that the long passage, that, well, the, the few verses that we read in Ephesians, I was just going to pick out one part of it. It's the one part I want you to remember. Because when we start to become dependent on something else, we start to serve that God. And we move further and further from the light. It's almost like we're going back up the stairs and out of the house. We're not going towards the light of Christ. Um, and we start to lose that wonder of what the incarnation is. What did Jesus really come to do? Why? Now, one aspect of it I think that we can remember, it's like it's, it's, it is the ultimate true idealized memory, right? Because it's, it's true. And it happens in verse 4 of Ephesians. But I'm going to read verse 3, and then I'm going to just stop at verse 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then here's verse 4. This is what I want you to remember. This is the thing that I want you to go back to. This is the light of Jesus. This is the light of, of his glorious coming and what it means to you and me who are in Christ. It says in verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I think part of what combats the discouragement, part of what pulls us away from other gods that we might be holding on to, is this truth. It's the wonder of the incarnation. It's this, that Jesus knew everything about you. That light that I saw as a kid, is, it was a blinding light. It's, a, it's like, like God is shining the light on your life before the foundation of the earth. He is shining a light so there's nothing hidden. Nothing is hidden. He shined a light on your life, everything, all the lies, all the deceits, how you broke every one of the commandments and even some of the ones you didn't even know about, all of that. He knew all of that. He saw it. And he came anyways. He came anyways because he loves you. He came and he was going to endure the shame and despise the shame of the cross, even death on a cross, 
The cross was a shameful death. It wasn't just I died. It was a shameful form of death. As Jesus is taking on flesh, that was what was going to happen. He was going to die on the cross, rise from the dead, ascend into heaven, sit at the right hand of the Father, and intercede for you. But he did all of that knowing your life. Every bit of it. Isaiah 9, 2. It's another, I don't know if you read that last week or that's coming up. But it's a famous Advent passage. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the, in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. It's that light in the basement. It's, it's even better. It just shines on us. Everything it was exposed. Jesus even said in John 8, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. He says, everything about you will be exposed. I took your shame. You can now walk in confidence and hope. And discouragement can be eaten up as you remember this truth. The light that shines on your sin puts you in a position where you have nothing left to prove, protect, or lose. That's how God sends us back into the world. The same way that God loves you, you can love other people. Romans 5.8 says um, that, that you know, he knew our sin, Right? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so now when we encounter people, we love them, we can love them, without without us wanting them to be what we want them to be. So, for instance, with your kids. We might have an idealized picture of their future. We idealize it, and we might even put it upon them. And so they're going to connect it in their head, and they're going to go, only way that I can be loved is if I do this one thing. And we have to walk away from that. Do that with the people in your life also. Don't put on them things that, well, I will love you if. Because that's how Jesus loved us. And that's the joy of the incarnation. That light shined, shined on your life, and he saw every bit of it, and he still came. That's the beauty of Christmas. That's the beauty of the incarnation. That is how you can love others well because you have nothing to prove, nothing to protect. He knows it all. He died for that sin. He lived the life you should have lived. Died the death you deserved. And now you're free. You're free to love well. So another year over, what have you done? No, the way to respond to that is, what has he done? You have idealized memories. Well, remember the beauty of God's idea to save his people. That Jesus shined a light on you, and he loves you anyways. He saw all of it. And that's the beauty of Christmas. Let that be your memory going forward. Combating the discouragement and, dare I say, even the depression.
Thank you, Lord. Let me pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your truth. You're, you're the light. But you're also the truth. And so we can approach your throne of grace because we know we're forgiven. That you were tempted in every way yet without sin, Jesus. And so you get it. You love us anyways. And we are grateful for that. And so, Lord Jesus, uh, send us your spirit in a full measure, even now, that we would live by faith and bring you glory. In Christ's name, amen. I love this table. What it does, at least for the pastor, is that if we obscure Jesus in any way through our attempts in the sermon, this takes care of it. Um, and I love that. Um, because here we're going to see the gospel played out in a way that Jesus did for us. You know, we talk a little bit about memory, our idealized childhood memories and the things that we can remember. I'm going to tell you this, that for the believer, the bread and the wine, Jesus, you know, he said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do this again until we're together in heaven. And so when we are with him, new heavens, new earth, there'll be a fullness of what this is. But I will tell you, you will remember this and you go, I know this. I know this. This is the fullness of it. So this is a taste of the future. And when we're in the future, we'll think back on this. It'll be a fullness and a beauty that we can really only speculate on and imagine. And so let me read the um, institution of the supper that Paul gives us in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. I received from the Lord that which I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, betrayed, he experienced that for us. Wow. You know, the inner ring of hell that Dante, you know what that inner, the worst one is? It's betrayal. The night when he was portrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes, and he will come. Um, we like to, in the... The Presbyterian circles, we like to make sure that we, it's, it's called sensing the table. And maybe the best way to think about this is, is that those of us in the room that this is, has, that has real deep meaning for, this is a special thing because we connect this with Jesus and his presence here and his presence in the future. All of that is tied into this and it has really deep meaning. And we want, if you, this is not uh, familiar to you, if you've not confessed your faith and professed your faith, in, in a congregation somewhere. We don't care about the denomination within reason, but we don't really care. Um, that This is for believers. It's not for good people. It's not for perfect people. I mean, oh, it sure, it sure isn't. <laughs> um, but it's for repentant people. It's for people who have repented of their good works. I don't rely on my good works. Thank God, and I mean that. So if you're here, and this isn't something that resonates, but something about this starting to touch your heart. Let us know. Let one of the elders know here um, because we would rather you take Jesus than take the bread right now. 
And so I want to just do that. Um, and I want to pray for this time. And Father, we bow a knee to your glorious goodness. Um, and we, we are grateful in and awe of that you saw our lives, that your light shine on everything about us, and you still loved us. In fact, it says that we're your joy, Jesus. And so we rejoice in this meal because it will be familiar one day in a way that um, gosh, we can't even begin to imagine. So, Spirit, fill our hearts with joy and peace as we take this meal and we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to have the, I think the elders come forward. Um, and I want to say this. We're going we're gonna to hand out the bread. Um, and when we do, just hold on to it. Um, there is, in this, is a, like a, a little cup that has both things in there. And you may not want to take the bread or because you're concerned. Um, you can take that. They'll help you. They'll talk you through it. But I want to say this, and I invited you up too soon, but it's okay. Stay right there. That's, that's my, I told you I was going to mess this up. But I want to say this. This is, see, this is the beauty. I can mess it up, but Jesus doesn't, right? But here's the thing. The Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread and broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
lived the body of Christ. He lived the life you couldn't and died the death you deserved in the broken body of Christ. In the same manner, Jesus took the cup and having given thanks, as we've done here this morning, he gave his cup to his disciples and said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Take and drink from it, all of you. bread representing the life that Jesus lived that you should have lived and the blood represents partly as well that how Jesus took the penalty for your sin what you deserve so we can rejoice in that he did it because he loves you the blood of Christ Father thank you This is the good news that the baby Jesus came because you knew everything about us and you still loved us. You were willing to go to the cross, the shame of the cross. And the resurrection is so beautiful. It means death is overcome and that our future is glorious. And so we don't have to hoard everything here 
we don't have to um, be concerned um, with what others think of us. We don't even have to look sideways, and envy doesn't even have to become part of our vocabulary because we have it all in you, and we're freed up to love well. And I pray that is our memory of Christmas. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand for our closing song. introduce you to my friend. Yeah, come on up here. Um, Ava Weeks. She's a missionary to uh, Kampala, Uganda. And um, I had just the blessing of going and um, with a team and ministering a few years ago. And um, I just told her to come and give like a, just a quick little trailer of what she's going to share about in a few minutes um, when the service is over. Um, so... Thank you. Um, I just want you to know how much I appreciated your message today. And as I was thinking back about my life, um, I was married to a pastor, and then we went to the mission field. And after 40 years of marriage, he walked away from the Lord and away from our family. And I said, okay, God, now what? What, I mean, is there anything for me to do? Oh, our God is so faithful. 
So at the age of 63, God said, yes, how about uh, going to Uganda? And I said, Uganda? Like, I don't know where that is. Oh, Africa. Oh, okay. Um, So I went to work with an organization. It's called 60 Feet, and we work with children in prison. Yes, children in prison. Um, Most of our children are between the ages of 13 and 17, and they're in prison for various reasons. Many of them were found on the street begging or selling things, and that's why they've come. We also have some that are capital offenders and all of that. So I went, and they said, you'll be an intern, and you'll be there for a year. I said, okay. So I started, and after about three months, I said, God, you have worked in my life my entire life to bring me here and to do this. And so I've stayed. Um, That was eight years ago. And I get to do things. I get to teach English. I teach reading. I've taught reading for 100 years to five- and six-year-olds. It's a different thing to teach 13, 14, 15-year-olds who have never been to school. Oh, my word. When all of a sudden they learn to read, I just can't even tell you how excited they are. Our main goal, though, is to reach these children for Jesus. And the government of Uganda has allowed us to go into this prison, to go into remand homes, which is where the children are when they're arrested, but before they go to court. And so we get to teach them. And How do I even explain how in the last year we have had over 280 children give their lives to the Lord? We have never had a year like that before. Just last month we had um, the first baptismal service we've had in over seven years, and we had 42 children that were baptized. I mean, God is just opening the floodgates, and I cannot wait to tell you some of the other stories, but I know we need to go. So I would love to share. I've got some video or some slides and things, so if you want to stay, you're more than welcome. Thank you for allowing me to come. So right after we pray in just a second, she will she will share, and, and we will also talk about um, the possibility of maybe a few of you going with us on a mission trip to work with Ava and the children there. So um, if that sparks your interest and the Lord's stirring something, please, please stay. Um, you know, pray for us. The benediction, let me pray. Lord, thank you for Ava. Um, there is hope. There's always hope. And it never dims. It is as bright as any light we could imagine because it's Jesus and it's his hope and it's his peace. It's his joy. It's his courage. And so, Lord, thank you and bless this ministry. So grateful um, that you care. There are people that you saw before the foundation of the earth. They're in prison. And, uh, Lord, I'm just amazed and astonished. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the Lord's benediction.
I think I'd like to read this one. I haven't memorized it, but I think it's an appropriate one. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you, and he will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. That's the peace we have in him. Now go in that peace. Amen. Wow, that was cool.